Hello, and thank you for joining the podcast Emergency Minute. Your host is an emergency medicine physician who brings over 20 years of experience in healthcare. Dr. Parente will take you through some of the trending topics and challenges faced in the ER and all of healthcare. Join in the fight against misinformation. And don't forget to follow on social media at Dr. J. Parente. Now, here's your host, Dr. John Parente. Welcome back, everyone. How are y'all feeling? Thanks for joining me this week for another episode of Emergency Minute. This week, I cannot wait to talk to you about episode eight, Medical Myths That Just Won't Die. But before I get started, I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening, commenting, sharing, and of course, your reviews. Much love to you. Greatly appreciate it. This week's show, definitely for you. And then lastly, check out uh, my channel on YouTube, Dr. J Parente. You can see some of my videos and don't forget to click subscribe. All right, so today's going to be a little bit different compared to the first seven episodes of Emergency Minute. In this episode, I'm going to run through a bunch of medical myths and tell you why they are complete garbage. Some of this will be rapid fire, and in some instances, I will get down into the weeds a bit and discuss as well. So let's go for a ride. You're going to see some of my true colors come out in this podcast. Vaccines cause autism. There's a reason why every doctor on earth just groans as soon as this sentence is uttered. Okay, so let's talk about this. Where did this nonsense start? Well, there was a study done in 1998 by Dr., and I use that term loosely, Andrew Wakefield, that tried to link the MMR, measles, mumps, and rubella, vaccine to autism. This was the rallying cry for anti-vaxxers for a long time. Unfortunately, it still is. Only problem is that he lied about his findings. He was then stripped of his medical license to practice medicine, And his study was retracted, which means it literally no longer exists because it was based on total fraud. Other than that, it was a perfectly good study. Now, before you go all conspiracy theorist on me, this relationship, meaning the autism slash vaccine thing, has been studied over and over and over again. In fact, this has been studied so much There is a mountain of evidence proving zero correlation with vaccines and autism. It has been studied so much that it is absolutely statistically worthless to study it any further. We cannot prove this any further than it has already been proven. So this has now moved from factual to theoretical. And and look, people choose to believe whatever the hell they want. I can't control that. Kyrie Irving believes the world is flat. There are entire organizations out there whose core belief system is based on this nonsense. But facts are facts. And an old British writer named John Haywood coined the phrase, there are none so blind as those who will not see. Water is wet. The sun will rise and set. The Browns will have another losing season. And vaccines for the last time, and for the love of God, do not cause autism. How about another personal pet peeve of mine? I better go to the ER because my blood pressure is high. Incorrect. Especially if you have a known diagnosis of hypertension, aka high blood pressure. If you don't have a history of hypertension, and so you would be like a newly diagnosed patient, then yes, I would recommend getting evaluated by your physician, or if you really feel so, or if you're having symptoms, come to the emergency department. But for the rest of this, what I'm referring to are patients with known hypertension. And look, don't be surprised when you come to the ER and all we do is an EKG and send you directly home. Asymptomatic hypertension, meaning high blood pressure without any symptoms, 
is not, for the love of God, a medical emergency. So if you are a family physician, if you are a specialist in an office, if you are a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner working in an office or an urgent care, please, for the love of God, stop sending patients with no symptoms and these elevated blood pressure readings to the ER. It is worthless. You see, your blood pressure goes up and down throughout the day. There are many things that we do that cause this, and we don't even typically know that it's happening. Now, if you're having symptoms, that's a whole different story. Severe headaches, chest pain, passing out, blurred vision, discolored urine, difficulty breathing, any neurological symptoms, then yes, by all means, you want to be seen in the emergency department. But there is no indication for treating a blood pressure number in the ER that's asymptomatic. In fact, it can be detrimental. You see, your body uses what's called autoregulation, meaning you kind of get used to the high blood pressure, and if you drop it too fast, it can precipitate problems such as a stroke. You hear the phrase in healthcare often, treat the patient, not the number. This is literally the case for something like this. Now, to take this a step further, if you want a quick glimpse into how broken healthcare is and how broken hospitals are, there are certain floors at your local hospital that won't take a blood pressure or it won't take a patient upstairs with a certain blood pressure, say 180 over 100, unless we in the ER treat them to make their numbers look prettier, say 150 over 90. Despite concrete medical literature demonstrating that treating the number and not the patient can actually harm the patient. Furthermore, that patient is too sick to go to the telemetry floor, but is sent home all the time from the ER with that high blood pressure reading. So let me get this right. They're okay to go home with that blood pressure, but they can't go to a certain floor in the hospital. Healthcare is broken, and I promise this will be a big focus of my podcast moving forward. All right, what's next? Ah, yes, eggs. They're bad for your health because they're high in cholesterol, right? Wrong. Dietary cholesterol has barely any impact on your actual cholesterol, meaning your HDL and LDL. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Eggs are a great source of protein. We know that protein is instrumental in building, maintaining muscle tissue. They are, in fact, good for you and have almost zero impact on your cholesterol. Moving along. I got the flu vaccine and then I got the flu. No, you didn't. Okay, this one drives me nuts. It's literally not possible. The vaccine is made with killed virus. Your body recognizes the killed virus as foreign and begins to develop antibodies to said virus by mounting what? An immune response. So if you feel like you have the flu after you get the vaccine, it is most likely the feeling that goes along with your immune system being activated, which actually means it's working. Now, if you had, if you really had the flu, fevers, chills, body aches, and you generally feel like death for a minimum of seven days, that's the flu. That's not your immune system being activated. And you cannot get this from the flu vaccine. Now, should you or can you take Tylenol or Motrin after getting the flu vaccine, or is this just another myth? Well, not exactly. There actually is mixed data on this. The thought process is, look, if you take a medication like Tylenol or Motrin, it will suppress your immune system and reduce the effectiveness of the vaccine. I think if you feel like death, it's probably okay to take something but whenever I get a, fac a vaccine every year, I try to just power through that feeling that you're, you know, have the flu. And I know you don't, obviously. Now, if you actually have the flu, meaning you have culture positive influenza and not one of the other 20 viruses that make you feel like you have the flu, 
and you got the vaccine at the same time, then you had the flu virus inside your body prior to that vaccine being given, and you are really the victim of an unfortunate circumstance. But the odds of this are extremely rare. Side note, remember, the entire point of the flu vaccine is not to prevent transmission. Rather, it's to reduce disease severity, and this has been proven over and over and over again. It reduces disease severity, hospitalizations, death, etc. by 40 to 60%. I totally get why people don't want to get the COVID vaccine. I understand that there's a lot of contention surrounding that particular vaccine, especially at this point with this particular strain is so incredibly mild. But we have mountains, mountains of data supporting the flu vaccine. Sadly, what I think is going to happen these next few years is all these naysayers out there against vaccines will stop vaccinating themselves and probably their children, at least with the flu vaccine, if not other vaccines. And we're going to see a rebound in some crazy illnesses that basically have been eradicated. So sad. But I digress. Another myth to kill, cracking your knuckles causes arthritis. Stop cracking your knuckles. It causes arthritis. No, it doesn't. It's simply a gas bubble that is released and pops has been shown to have no correlation with arthritis. Stop scaring children. That's just good life advice. Weight loss. Okay. I could do an entire podcast on myths associated with obesity and weight loss. Let's run down the list of things people say and unfortunately what most people believe. It's just calories in versus calories out. It's just diet and exercise. Obesity is a choice and that person is making bad choices. That's why they're obese. If you exercise more, you will lose weight. Okay, a lot to unpack here. And I don't want to steal the thunder from my upcoming podcast where I discuss obesity. So I'm not going to. Yeah, you're welcome. Instead, I'm simply going to tease the future for this upcoming yet-to-be-released podcast where I discuss obesity and weight loss at length. But basically, everything you know about obesity and weight loss, or at least everything you think you know, is false. I know what I need to do. I just need to do it. Every sentence I just uttered is factually inaccurate. The bad news is, is that everyone out there on earth believes these statements are true, including a good percentage of physician and healthcare professionals, sadly. Until we recognize obesity as a disease and not as a choice, the rest of these statements will live on for some time. And unfortunately, I think as a country, we're not ready to accept that obesity is a disease yet. But it is. I got news for you. And we'll discuss that in an upcoming podcast. Another one of my favorites Apple cider vinegar treats heartburn. (laughs) This one is all over the place. Why on earth would someone pour acid into their mouth holes when they're having heartburn? This is insane to me. The thought is that the acidity will trigger the LES, which is known as your lower esophageal sphincter. You know, that's that thing that separates your stomach from the rest of the world. So when you lay down, you don't have stomach contents pouring out of your mouth thus closing the sphincter and then preventing heartburn. I guess that's the theory. Speaking of sphincters, does that word automatically make anyone else run to Wayne's World? Sphincter says, what? Or is it just me? I just watched that with my 12-year-old son last week, and he thought it was fantastic, and that is terrifying to me. All right. I've heard patients using this hundreds of times in the ER. I did a quick literature search, and there's not a single study that validates this as an effective treatment. In fact, it's extremely acidic and can actually worsen heartburn, let alone if you have a peptic ulcer. Why does this myth live on, despite zero evidence of it actually working? As Don Olmeyer once said, the answer to all your questions is money. There will always be people and companies who are trying to make profit. 
And seemingly there will always be a group of people who want to do things naturally, who just, I just don't trust modern and Western medicine. I'm just looking to do this more naturally with more natural solutions. Good luck. All right, let's pick up the pace, rapid fire, and go. You must drink eight glasses of water per day. This has been debunked. Drink when you are thirsty. And yes, water is better than most other things. Juices, pop, cola. Depends which area of the country you live in for me to call it pop or cola. But you get a lot of water and hydration in other things like coffee, fruits, vegetables, and other foods and drinks that we don't even think about, much less measure. Moving on. Cranberry juice prevents or treats UTIs. Cranberry juice has never been proven to prevent or treat UTIs. The thought process is that the acidity of the juice will kill the bacteria and reduce chances of getting an infection. I don't see any harm in this one unless you're like a diabetic or you're trying to reduce your sugar intake. My only advice to you is add vodka. Can you prevent UTIs? To an extent, yes. Some people are just prone to UTIs for any number of reasons. What can you do? Well, practice good hygiene urinate frequently, make sure you pee after sex, and wipe front to back for females. Don't shove anything in your urethra, and try not to have 100 new sexual partners. Look, I'm telling you, if you have not already subscribed to my podcast, I think you can now easily see how I provide valuable, insightful life advice. You know, hey ma, I came across this podcast today. It was great. This doctor told me not to put a battery into my urethra. Isn't that great? I digress. Meanwhile, Back at the ranch, seeds, nuts, popcorn cause diverticulitis. The thought here is that the seed or the kernel will get lodged in one of the pockets of the diverticulosis, causing the blockage, hence the resultant diverticulitis. I don't think it's unreasonable to avoid these foods if you're someone that gets this recurrently, because if you do get diverticulitis over and over again, eventually you will require surgery to remove that, and that's not fun. So I, I don't think avoiding this is unreasonable. And while we're on the topic, diverticulosis is the condition of having these pockets in your colon, which in Western society almost everyone has. Diverticulitis is when one of these pockets gets infected. So you will have diverticulosis for the rest of your life. But diverticulitis is only that short period of time when something gets infected. I realize it would be easy to mix that up as a layperson, but it drives me nuts. Pun fully intended. You're welcome. So spread the word to your friends and neighbors. Another myth that won't die, green mucus means bacteria. Mmm, yummy. But does it taste like diabetes? My mucus is green, so that must mean my sinus infection is bacterial. I need an antibiotic. <clears throat> Wrong. There's no correlation with the color of mucus and the presence of either bacteria or virus. So common colds, which are viruses, can cause green mucus. And bacteria, which is bacteria, and needs an antibiotic can cause clear drainage as well. While we're on the topic, your sinus infection doesn't need antibiotics. News for you. The sinus infections are almost always viral. The literature states that we should only treat with antibiotics for those patients who have been sick for longer than 10 to 14 days and are still showing signs of infection. And no, I'm not talking about a runny nose, but actual symptoms, facial tenderness and dental pain, etc. Unless of course you have something else that puts you at risk, such as a cancer patient on chemo, etc. In that situation, obviously, we would treat you. And please stop asking for Z-Packs. They're not even indicated for sinusitis. Zithromax does not even go into your sinuses. If you got better after you took a Z-Pack for your sinus infection, it was likely because you had a virus, and it was going to get better anyways. 
All right, well, that's all the time I have for today. I want to thank everyone for taking a listen, and I apologize for the rant-type style of the podcast. Obviously, a little bit of a different direction than the previous seven episodes. And I do apologize if I offended one, if not both, of my listeners. Uh, That was not intended. But in all seriousness, I did go over 1,000 downloads for the show this week, so I do appreciate everyone for stopping in and taking a listen. As far as my anger, you have to understand I'm a Cleveland sports fan and I work in the emergency department, so this just kind of is par for the course. So I am going to be packing for the Caribbean. I should do an episode on how not to get diarrhea in the Dominican Republic. Um, Actually, my wife wants me to do the next show on medical things that you should take with you on vacation and preparing for trips out of the country. Not a bad idea. So I might do that. Tell me what you think. Drop it in the comments. Don't forget to click subscribe and consider sharing this show with someone that you know or love or maybe someone that you don't love. I don't know. You can follow me on any social media platform at Dr. J Parente. Should I do a podcast from the Caribbean or should I just forget about everyone and drink margaritas all day long? What do you think about that? And as always, Peace, love, and happiness to everyone out there. Cheers, guys. Thanks for joining us this week on Emergency Minute. Join us next time for more hard-hitting discussions on some of today's issues in healthcare. Don't forget to leave us a review on Spotify or follow on social media at Dr. J Parente.